The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Download Podcast. We have a guest here today, a fellow dental student, but also a fellow podcast host. So would you mind introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about where you're from, where you go to school, and what your podcast is? Hey, hi. Um, My name is Valentine. I am originally from France, actually. I was born and raised in Paris, and then I moved to the U.S. when I was 18, which was nine years ago now, um, I moved to the U.S. to become a dentist. And so now I'm in dental school at Midwestern in Arizona. And it's been quite the journey to get there. And when did you start your podcast throughout that process? Um, this is very recent, actually. I okay. officially started the podcast about two months ago. Um, but this like the genesis of the podcast truly dates back like a year ago. Um, it was a project that we started with two of my friends for the business club of our dental school. Um, due to COVID, we couldn't really have any speakers in person. And so we decided to start doing this um, Zoom thing where we would just, you know, interview dentists on Zoom about, you know, their business models and how they run their practice and stuff like that. And so we just decided to formalize the podcast. And unfortunately, they they moved out because they graduated. And so I decided to take over and just make this a thing. That's super cool. And before we get more into what you did during dental school and what you're doing now, I want to kind of go back in time a little bit and talk about your pre-dental experience, but even... You said you came from France to the U.S. with the intent, I'm going to become a dentist. Why did you come to the U.S. over any other country that you could practice? And what were you looking to accomplish here? Yeah, um, so it really wasn't an idea in my mind until middle of high school because I was, quote unquote, supposed to be a pilot. (laughs) Um, my my dad was an Air Force pilot in the French Air Force. My older brother is a pilot for private jets. And I was going to be a commercial pilot, you know, just keep everybody a pilot. And that was the plan initially. But when I was in high school, my dad moved abroad for a job. And so I ended up leaving um, France and moving to the Middle East. And so I did my high school at a French school in the Middle East. And in that school, um, a lot of people were, you know, very international. Like they, they were used to living all over the world. And so my English teacher back then had lived in the US for like 11 years. My dentist that I met was half Lebanese, half American. And so it's through these connections that I kind of started having the thought of like, ooh, the U.S. sounds really cool. And that's kind of how I started having the idea of becoming a dentist because my dad is terrified of a dentist, like a lot of people. And um, our dentist at the time kind of helped him get over that. 
so I was like dang that's that's impressive that's cool like I feel like I could be into that job so I just ended up spending some time with him and I I really loved it and because he had gone to the U.S. and I was like okay they do things a little bit differently than in France and immediately I wanted to get into cosmetics like cosmetic dentistry I, like once I got into dentistry that was the path for me that's the only one that made sense for what I'm into and the thing is in France cosmetic dentistry is not necessarily as big as it is in the U.S. Um, just because you know I don't know we're, we're not into necessarily like the, the whole Hollywood smile not that it's like what you should do anyway because opaque white teeth aren't the move but um people don't necessarily go for that in Europe I was like, well, if this is the type of dentistry I want to practice, where can I practice it? And the U.S. was the answer. So I forced my parents to <laughs> go on vacation <laughs> in the U.S. And um, luckily, they're very, very nice to me. And so we did like a two-week trip in the U.S. And I just, that was it. There was nowhere else where I wanted to live. So when you moved here when you were 18 what state did you move to and were you already like enrolled in a university somewhere um so when when I applied to the U.S. I could only apply to a few schools because I went to a French high school and so we don't take the ACT or the SAT um and the French baccalaureate so the French final you know high school exam is a week-long exam with each exam four hours long. So I was like, I'm not <laughs> doing this plus the SAT in a different language, even though I spoke English at the time already, but I didn't speak it the way I do now. Um, I sounded very, very French back then. So I had to take like the English, you know, proficiency level test. Um, and so I ended up applying to one school in the U.S. and it was the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. And I got in. And so it was basically the deal with my parents was you've got one shot. You know, I had applied everywhere in France. I already got in. Uh, I, I knew it could have been a dentist in France. And they told me, you know, you can apply to the U.S. This is your one shot. Let's see what they say. If you get in, we'll consider it. And I got in and, and I got a scholarship to go to undergrad. They paid one year out of the four, which is the most they give to international students. I was still grateful for that because it's a lot of money. Um, so I ended up going to Minnesota. Wow, that's interesting. And that sounds like a very rigorous end of high school test that you had to sit through. So props to you. You were probably like the, thing. the DAT, that's nothing. Like four hours, easy. <laughs> no, the DAT was horrible. I hated it. It was so different. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that later. But yeah, yeah. I hated the DAT. <laughs> Did you find that? Minnesota had a strong pre-dental preparation. Did they have like a pre-dental club, advisors to help you, or did you have to navigate it on your own? They they did. Um, and I was advised to apply to Minnesota by a family friend that was from California. Um, she went to Johns Hopkins Medical School. She's like a very, very brilliant person, like graduated in three years, did a fast track at Mount Sinai. She's in neurosurgery residency like she's a very very smart person so I was like okay I can I can definitely trust her um 
And so she had advised me to apply to Minnesota. There definitely was a pre-dental club. There was also a program that they had through the dental school um, where you could go and spend a weekend kind of as like an immersion into dental school experience for a weekend. So you went, you met faculty, you learned to wax, um, you toured the sim clinic. Um, it was pretty simple, you know, nothing crazy. They give you a couple classes that first year dental students get. Just basically an immersion to what dental school looks like your first year. So that was the most, the biggest thing that they had. Um, the the pre-dental club existed, but I'm not going to lie to you. I did not feel like it was that active. You know, they had one event here and there. And it, like, I never really felt like I got that much value out of it. So everything, my whole pre-dental journey, basically, I built myself. Like, I went out there trying to meet dentists who I wanted to get to know because they were figures that I admired, right? So it, it was mostly like through me doing that, that I got my dental experience in undergrad, then through the pre-dental club. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can tell from your story already that you're a go-getter. You're going to go out and get what you need to get and figure everything out on your own. So that is not surprising and also very, very impressive. I would love to know about your specific application cycle. I don't know if you applied more than once, how that looked, but how was it applying? Did you have to apply as an international student or at that time, were you a resident of the States? How did all that work? Yeah. So I'm a little bit of an unconventional path, I guess, even though it is conventional, like obviously I'm foreign. So that makes a big difference. Um, but I unfortunately had to apply three times total because I'm going to say it shamelessly now because I'm in dental school, so <laughs> whatever, I made it. But um, when I was an undergrad, I chose to party a little bit too much. I think that, you know, I moved away and I was independent. And I was like, ugh, I'm going to live this American dream. I'm going to join the fraternity and I'm going to party it up. And I did. And I got it out of me and it was great. And it was a lot of fun. But unfortunately, my, my GPA suffered quite a bit my second year, especially. And it goes down much faster than it goes up. And so I applied, you know, at the end of my junior year to try to get in right away. Um, honestly, I did it to make my parents happy because I knew that I wasn't going to get in just based on my stats. Um, so I took the DAT. My DAT was very average, um, you know, very average. My GPA was also very average. I think the first time I applied, I had like a three, two or three, three, which just doesn't cut it to get in like it's not very competitive especially when your DAT doesn't make up for it so I explained that to my parents and then I took a gap year um and then you know during that gap year I didn't really do much to improve my application because I I guess didn't really understand what it was that I needed to do to be a more competitive applicant so during that first year what I did was I was tutoring um, science. 
to like middle high school students and and it was a good experience i enjoyed it but it it did nothing for me like uh, as far as getting into dental school so obviously i reapplied then once again because my parents are like okay well (laughs) we sent you to the u.s and and it's expensive like you gotta deliver on your promise of becoming a dentist um and obviously I, i didn't get in there was no difference in my application as far as like scores go and we you can say whatever you know anybody can tell you whatever they want scores do matter you have to have a competitive gpa and a competitive dat um so what i did after that was i did a one-year post back at ucla so after i graduated from undergrad i moved to la because that's where i want to live long term and i did a one-year post back at ucla and i did a one-year master's in stem cell biology at usc through the medical school and then i reapplied and obviously you know i got a 4-0 and my post back i got a four in my master um i retook the dat i improved some sections i did a little worse than others and so i ended up getting uh overall the same score on my dat so that was still average but you know I had two years of good grades, right? And so that kind of tipped the balance. And so I reapplied after that and I finally, you know, got in. But it's not, in full honesty, it's not like I ended up getting, you know, seven interviews. I applied to, I think, eight schools because I was very specific in where I wanted to go. And Midwestern was, the only one that gave me a chance um and i'm grateful because it was one of my top choices so it, it worked out in the end but it was definitely not like an easy journey getting in and it is definitely my fault but, <laughs> but yeah it, it wasn't easy thank you for walking us through that i can definitely see that there were ups and downs but what when did you realize, I guess, after that second application cycle, how did you figure out, oh, I need to do a post-bac, I need to do a master's? Did you talk to someone or you just had a realization, wait, this is the reason I'm not getting in? I had the opportunity to get an informal interview at a dental school in California through somebody that's a big name in that school. They just introduced me to somebody on the admissions committee. And through speaking to that person, I was nicely but explicitly told, look, honestly, your application, like as far as extracurriculars, blah, 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 like this looks great. You know, I was a TA for a year in undergrad. I had so much community service. I had so much shadowing. Like anything besides metrics was ideal. But then metrics, it just wasn't competitive. And they told me, you know, point blank, you have to make that, like you have to make up for that. And you have to go to school for a year and prove to any dental school that you're going to apply to that you're capable of getting the grades, right? Because you could be smart. We believe you. You're nice. You're, you know, you obviously like you, you're an adult, et cetera. And like you can do well because you have before. 
but what you're lacking right now is like the consistency and what you're lacking is the competitive edge because getting in dental school is extremely competitive and so i i was told point blank this is what yeah. you need to do and so i did i'm sure you're grateful for that probably humbling conversation because for sure a little bit <laughs> yeah for sure i mean um to be honest with you after i applied the second time even though like deep down i I knew it wasn't going to happen because I was still like, I'm still realistic. Like I, I know, I knew what was going on. Um, but for a minute, I almost wanted to give up and I almost considered doing something else. And, um, we had this long conversation with my, my dad, because he's the first one that I called to you know, tell him like, well, this is what's going on. And I'm starting to lose my motivation a little bit. And I think that I need to do something else. And that just didn't go well at all. Like, not at all. <laughs> like, I, that was a long and harsh conversation as well. And, you know, in, in the end, I'm also grateful for that because I love dentistry and honestly, the there is nothing else for me out there i don't think like there's nothing else that i want to do more than dentistry but when you take repetitive no's right like when you keep getting those letters that say unfortunately we regret to inform you blah blah blah, blah. it sucks it's hard and your ego takes a hit and even though i was very well aware of the situation it still felt discouraging for a minute. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you consider like, is this a sign? Is that like, I'm trying, I want this, but is this just not for me? And I'm sure it's hard to figure out, is this door closing? Cause it's not my path or do I need to push through? And that's something now that you're in dental school, you've probably faced too plenty of moments of figuring out what's right for you and everything. And we talked about that when we recorded on your podcast, if people want to check that out. But I have a couple more questions. Well, just one more about pre-dent life. And then I'd love to talk a little bit about your dental school experience. So at the time of this episode's going up, students are preparing for like the first round of interviews to get into dental school. If you had to say like one top tip that you think is really helpful for dental school interviews, what would that be? Um. You know, for me, what I felt worked was staying authentic, but also knowing, you know, what the school you're going to interview for is like. So when I interviewed for Midwestern, I knew it would be a good match because I knew what the school stood for. I knew what the school was like, and I knew what the, you know, the preclinical and clinical curriculum looked like. And so I was able to express myself to the committee in a way that stayed authentic and showed who I really am, but also in a way that showed them that who I am aligns with what the school is like. Um, that was the biggest thing because that's always been my biggest issue in life and like particularly getting into dental school is like on paper, it's really, really hard to look good. Like you have to just stand out on paper and they look at very few things. 
and it's hard to stand out from another student that also has a 3.8 GPA and a 23 ZAT, like, right? Like, how do you make yourself look different from that on paper? So once the schools give you an interview, they're really trying to assess your personality and what you're like, and are you going to be a good match for their culture, right? Because each school has its own culture. And I guess my biggest tip is make sure that when you interview or when you make your decision post-interview, that you choose something that actually, truly matches who you are. Because getting into dental school, yes, is key. And we all want to get into dental school. And like, there was a point when I told my parents, like, I'll go anywhere. Like there were schools I really didn't want to go to. And I told them, honestly, tomorrow they call me up, I will go there. It doesn't matter because I just want to get into dental school. Luckily, it worked out for the best for me. But just find something that means something to you just so that you're not another number in the dental school or another check of a hundred thousand dollars into the <laughs> pocket of the school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's people that came to my school and they've told me that I came here because it's supposed to be a great school, ranked number one, and certain things you look at, whatever. But I hate it or whatever their problems are, and that's exactly what you're saying. You can't just look by the numbers or by hearsay by different people. You really got to look into it for yourself to see what the right fit is. If you're fortunate enough to have options. I obviously reputation is important when you're looking to get a job later, going to residency. But if it's if they're all decently reputable, really go for the one that's their best fit. Absolutely. I mean, for me, when, you know, I applied to Midwestern in Arizona and when I well, I, I chose it because, you know, that was my one option. But also I was super excited to choose it. But the reason for me choosing it was I knew that they had one of the most active um, clinical programs in the country. So the way we work is that it's two years preclinical, you know, um, we just do Dexter two days a week um, and then two years clinic, eight to five every day. And they run it like a private practice. So I knew that I would graduate having real clinical experience. Unfortunately, some schools and no names need to be named, but unfortunately, some schools will let you graduate having done two crimes or three. And realistically, it's not the fault of the students at all, right? You're here to be educated. I'm sure that we'd love to do more, but that's just the reality of some programs. And for me, that was just, I couldn't like fathom doing that it, it made no sense if I go to dental school and I'm paying all this money and I want to be proficient by the time I graduate because I need to like an employer needs to trust that I'm capable of doing the dentistry without butchering somebody basically right um, I'm already a new grad it's already a lot of questions go in their minds and now I'm telling them I've done three crowns there's no way like you're gonna have to do a GPR after and mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. So my thing was like, I knew that by the time I graduated dental school, I would have done at least, you know, 50, 60 crowns. And that was like a big thing. I wanted to get that hands-on clinical experience. 
So when you say that the clinic runs more like a real office, like a private practice, how does that look? Like you come in at 8 a.m., how many patients are on your schedule that day? As I guess next year, you'll be a D3. Right. So I'm actually starting a clinic in five weeks. So very excited about that. Um, It runs like a private practice in the sense that we don't have to look for our own patients. That's a big thing. Um, The school has its own private clinic and patients just from the area will come to the clinic. I don't need to go out and give my business card to people telling them, hey, come see me and please let me do a filling on you, right? Like I just have a pool of patients already there for me. Um, It doesn't mean that like I can see, you know, a patient an hour. There's a reality of, you know, what dental school is like and I am not necessarily prepared to do a crown and seat in an hour and a half. Like, let's just be realistic about that. So I want to say you probably, you know, depending on what you're doing, you probably see like anywhere from two to four patients a day, depending on what's going on. Um, Appointments are definitely longer than in private practice, but at the same time, because there is no specialty program in the school, we actually get to do specialty procedures. So we do endo, um, we do perio, we do implants. And that's also big, big difference because some schools, if there's a specialty program, any specialty procedure will go to the specialty department, which is fair because they they need them. Um, But I actually get to place implants. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, you're the first school. And then one person I talked to that went to, I think it was USC, said she placed one implant during dental school and only like a select few of them, the most promising students got to place an implant. So it sounds like it's standard practice that you guys get trained and actually get to place implants. We restore them, but we are not even a consideration that any dental student could place an implant at my school. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's standard practice depending on, you know, whether or not you get the patient for it. Meaning if you have a patient that needs an implant and the patient is able to afford it, you will work with a specialist. Like we have specialists supervising. It's not like it's just whatever you want, do whatever you want. No, no, no. It's it's supervised and it's it's safe. But um, and we work with specialists in a specialty clinic downstairs. Um, but if you get the patient and they can afford it, you get to do it. Unless the procedure is too complex, you know, it's close to a nerve or to the sinus or anything. Like obviously the specialist does it because they don't want you to harm anyone and it's only fair um but yeah i mean i have my partner for next year because we're also paired with a it's a d3 d4 pairing so i'm going to work with a d4 and we're going to be assisting each other basically whenever the other does the procedure so we do four-handed dentistry for two years as well which that's also huge in the sense that like this is what private practice is like um, yeah, she's nice. placed five implants already. That's amazing. Yeah. Kudos to your program. That's awesome. Exactly what you were saying, how we have, well, my school, we have all the specialties. So, so much gets referred up. Even semi-complicated pros cases get referred up. So I get a lot of practice in all the basics. As you were saying, you have plenty of patients. I feel like we do too, but it's always luck of the draw who you get, as you said, 
financial situation, work time off, family situation, all these things need to fall into place for someone to accept a really and long or complicated treatment plan and for you to actually finish it before you graduate. But we definitely have the patients that want that. But unfortunately, because of all the specialty programs, a lot of the finishing steps or in between ends up going to the specialty. Maybe it comes back to us. Maybe it stays in specialty or our faculty. We have a faculty clinic where they specifically practice too, and the patients can pay a higher price and be seen there if they feel like they need more than a dental student. So it's interesting exactly what you said, how schools run differently. So it's important for people to hear that and look into it. The faculty clinic is tough though, because what doesn't make sense in my head is it's basically the school competing with the school, (laughs) right? It's like the faculty that are teaching at the school are competing against the students at the school that they're trying to educate. And so that doesn't really make sense for me. I think the people that do it is because they miss practicing and they only work at our dental school. They don't do private couple days, teach a couple days. They're only at the school. So it gives them a chance to actually keep up their skills. And they're not just teaching and saying, oh, make sure you drill this way or this is the best way to do it. They're actually practicing it and keeping their skills up. So I think that's a lot of it too, that they can be competent teaching because they're still practicing. That's right. That's a good argument. I, we've talked a lot about your clinical experience, but you mentioned you're interested in cosmetics and we talked about on your podcast, how you're president of your business association at the dental school. How do you see your future? And do you feel like you're getting adequate experience and what you actually want to do long-term? Um, my future, I would like to practice in California, ideally in LA. Um, that was the original, you know, dream when I moved to the U.S. And so that's the perfect place for cosmetics, right? Like, <laughs> um, ideally, what I would like to do is to open a multi-specialty clinic that specializes in aesthetic treatment. So probably have, you know, cosmetic dentist, but also a plastic surgeon or a dermatologist and an orthodontist and something like that, like a periodontist. Just basically anything that would allow any patient that walks in to get comprehensive aesthetic treatment. And at that point, it doesn't really look like a dental office anymore. It's fully a clinic, um, but it's a clinic that specializes in cosmetic procedures. And I would enter like some kind of partnership with different specialties. That's kind of what I'm, um, what I want to build essentially, um, and probably take that internationally so build one in different countries maybe open one in paris maybe open one in singapore maybe open one in dubai or something like that um that's that's the dream now will it happen we'll see but um that's the ambition now am i getting the experience that i need to prepare myself for that is difficult to answer because you know i'm I'm here boasting about the clinical experience that we get, but at the same time, it's not like I'm going to be doing veneers every day in dental school. The the reality is I'm going to do fillings and crowns for the most part. Um, so I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm getting maybe my speed up a little bit. I'm getting 
the comfort level necessary to just go into practice and practice without having the need for that one year adjustment period after graduation. But I'm definitely going to need some CE after I graduate and like still get more experience to just build my clinical skills and make sure I understand all the concepts that go behind, you know, producing high quality aesthetic dentistry. I recently spoke to um, Dr. Adamo Alves, who is, sits on the board of the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. And we were talking about, you know, the requirements for becoming a fellow, not only accredited, but a fellow. And my God, it's a lot. And so, you know, like it's definitely going to take years before I get to the level that I want to get at. Um, but I don't know. We'll, we'll take it step by step. But in the meantime, I feel like I'm prepared or I feel like I will be prepared to at least take the first step towards doing that. And through, you know, you mentioned the business club, um, through that, I feel like I've been able to build a network at least and just like meet people that are doing what I want to do. And so like, that's a little bit of a confidence boost because there are people that I can talk to and ask questions when I like want to plan my future. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the saying like knowledge is power and it sounds like you have the knowledge, you have the resources at your fingertips. You've reached out to people, you've started all that, you know what you need to do. Just a matter of progressing through dental school, progressing through the start of your career and doing it. I'm pretty confident that you'll get to everything you want one day. I appreciate that. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> it'd be nice. I owe it to my parents. They've um, they've sacrificed quite a bit to <laughs> allow me to be here today. So yeah. I definitely owe it to them. So to wrap up, I always like to ask if you have any final words of wisdom or just like a take-home message you want to leave people with. It's mostly dental students listening. So final words of wisdom for dental students. Yeah. It's going to go back to what we we're talking about when we um, were talking about preparing for the interviews for dental school. It's just as you pursue your path in dentistry, really take the time to reflect and think about what it is that you want to achieve and accomplish. Like what in dentistry is your passion? Because we we were talking about it together on the episode of my podcast that we recorded, the Chairside Chats podcast. Um, Sometimes people just think of dentistry as, you know, I have to be a practice owner or an associate and I have to work four or five days a week and that's it. And there's nothing more to it, but that's just not true. There's so much more to it. You could build your own CE. You could be a speaker. You could be um, in academia. I don't know. I interviewed somebody that has the first FDA approved AI company in dentistry, right? Like the possibilities are endless. And it's just what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? Reflect on that, stay true to yourself, and just pursue that. And like this is, in my opinion, what will make you the most successful that you can be. 
That's great advice. I hope people take a minute after this to self-reflect and figure all that out for themselves. <laughs> so you mentioned we recorded on your show. Do you want to just direct people to your Instagram or the best place for them to listen? Or if they have questions for you, because you shared a lot of your own personal story, somebody might resonate and want to ask you some questions. Yeah, for sure. So the podcast is called Chairside Chats and the Instagram handle for it is the Chairside Chats podcast. Pretty simple. Um, and then my personal handle is Val Metz, V-A-L-M-E-Y-T-S. If anybody has any question, I'm always more than happy to answer anything I can help with. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight for both shows. It's been a lot of fun. So hopefully people head over to yours and listen to that if they haven't already. Yeah, thank you so much, Haley. I appreciate it.